let's talk science. From the University of Groningen, this is MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. Hey, dear listeners, welcome to a new episode of the MindWise podcast. In this one, we're talking to Linda Stech, who is a professor in environmental psychology. We talk about how to change people's attitudes and behaviors towards the environment. So, the so-called bottom-up approach to environmental change. There is also the top-down approach, which is governmental regulations and such. So we also talk a bit about Trump and his decision to leave the Paris Agreement and the repercussions this might have on uh, the global economy and the global environment. So if you're interested to hear more about this, please listen on. And if you like the podcast, subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Drop a comment. We want to know that someone is listening to this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on our website, mindwise-groningen.nl. Let us know what you think. And now, without dragging this too much, please welcome Professor Linda Stech. My name is Linda Stech. I'm a professor of environmental psychology at the University of Groningen. Uh, environmental stu- uh, psychology studies the interaction between humans and their environment. So we study how the environment influences our choices, but also what motivates people to protect the environment. And what motivates people, that are all kinds of motivational factors like people's values, uh, identity, how they see themselves, or all kinds of uh, environmental considerations, cost-benefit considerations, but our behavior is also influenced by the context, so the, the situation where we are in. And that's something that is really emphasized within environmental psychology. Well, when I was studying, I had a ch- uh, the chance to take a course in environmental psychology, which was taught by that time by Charles Fleck. And it really inspired me. I didn't study psychology, by by the way, but I was inspired by that course. So I went to him, is there any chance that I can do an internship or can focus my master thesis on this topic? And and that's how it all started. So I had the chance to focus my master thesis on such a topic. Then a PhD uh, position came available. And I thought, that's what I want to do. So I applied for the job. I got it. And then, yeah, I rolled from one opportunity in the other. And when I started, it was not a, a widely studied topic. I think it was also the first year that the course in environmental psychology was being taught at the University of Groningen. And well, on, in, the, in the last years, the, the field has been exploding. There's so much studies now in this field because it's more and more 
recognize that we have serious environmental problems and these are not only natural science problems, technical problems, but whether we succeed in, in saving the world in the end will strongly depend on whether we can motivate people to change their behavior and to accept all kinds of new solutions. So environmental psychology is more and more recognized. You see that in um, European policy making, for example, so the EU they emphasize what type of policies need to be employed to uh, realize or achieve a sustainable energy transition. And human behavior is a strong focus there, uh, and they mostly emphasize the need to provide people with an, uh, relevant information and the, the right price signals. But of course, much more needs to be done. And so they have a key interest in understanding this bit better. And also the IPCC, the, who publish reports on the, the state of the, the climate and how we can achieve uh, a, a world where temperature doesn't increase too rapidly, that it might really have a negative impact on uh, our well-being or our survival even. Uh, they also now have a key interest in including this type of knowledge in their reports. So they also involve all kinds of people with this type of background to make sure that uh, knowledge about behavior, behavior change is also included in their reports. So there's, we can say, two pathways uh, of changing this top-down and bottom-up. Yeah. And top-down would be governmental regulations. Yeah. Bottom-up would be changing individual behavior. Yeah. And so only recently did individual behavior come into the picture? It's more and more emphasized. So there were already studies going on, but it's now recognized that behavior change is is crucial to uh, make sure that temperature increases stay within the boundaries as agreed in, uh, on in the Paris Agreement, for mm. example. And top-down, in the end, is also about behavior change, right? If policies are implemented, many times they are aimed at changing behavior. So we need to understand whether these policies will indeed be effective, because sometimes there's a naive understanding of what motivates people, which might not be correct. So we need to implement the right policies. But also any policy needs in democratic societies, they need public support, because if the public would oppose it very strongly, it's very difficult to get them implemented, particularly because policymakers or politicians are keen to be re-elected, so they are not very open to implement policies that don't receive public support. Speaking of top-down approaches, um, so we would actually like to talk about a recent um, political event where US President Trump has decided to leave the Paris Climate Agreement. Yeah. And um, just so we and our listeners get on the same page here, I'm going to give a brief overview of what it actually is. In 2015, under the Paris Agreement, almost 200 nations um, voluntarily agreed to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. right? And um, voluntarily meaning that they are in no way obliged to do so, but it was still seen as a major landmark um, in the fight against climate change. Yeah. So, so basically, the whole world acknowledged for the first time that rising um, temperatures are caused by humans and pose a real threat to us. Yeah. So now I have a question. What are your thoughts on Trump's decision to um, leave this agreement? How will this influence other nations' attitudes toward um, their um, attitudes yeah. toward um, 
climate change. Yeah. Well, when I first learned about it, I was really like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Because they are, the US is a big country with a major impact on, on greenhouse gas emissions. So if they withdraw, what will happen in the end? But interestingly, what you now see, it might even be a, maybe even be a good thing because you see that other states or other countries are now even more strongly expressing their commitment to make this happen. So China came uh, explicitly indicated like, no, we are committed to stay within the boundaries of the two degree temperature increase. And whatever happens, we will do what we can to realize it. The EU also committed themselves more strongly. So it might result in, it seems to result that other countries are now even more strongly expressing their commitment, which means that it's more likely that it might be realized in the end. And the other thing is what happens in the US, uh, the USA is a federal uh, state is not so impactful. Many decisions that have major implications for climate change are being uh, made on the state level or even on the city level. Cities become really more and more powerful and a lot of policies that have implications for greenhouse gas emissions are being implemented by cities. So even if Trump wants to change the direction the USA is taking on this, on this, uh, in this field, will he not be, doesn't he have the power to push this through even if he wants to? No, because he has, doesn't have that much power on, uh, for example, a lot of uh, this um, policy related to traffic. Traffic is a major so source of uh, climate uh, uh, change, are being made by cities. And if cities implement policies, they just can do so. And it is also, so even states and cities can implement all kinds of policies where he doesn't have any control over. But also some things are already economically attractive. So investments in green energy production, it's already profitable. Mm -hmm. So companies will do it anyway because they can make business out of it. And there are more jobs in the, the green energy production field than in the uh, uh, production of coal, for example. So yeah, the, the, one of his statements was, well, I'm going to, to secure jobs for those who are working in the coal industry. Yeah, what is his fascination with miners? He, he really likes to yeah, I bring, don't, bring back mining. Yeah, I, I really don't know mm. why. I think it is also about he commit, he made some strong statements while uh, during the election and he wants to make some of these things happen. But if you look at, it, this is not my field, right? I, I know this from people who are experts uh, in this field who told me about uh, this. But economically, it, the, the amount of jobs in this industry are not so huge. And it's mm. also a, not a long-term perspective because it's very likely that coal will be phased out anyway because it's very uh, more, more expensive to produce coal than wind energy or solar and energy. And it's limited to... Dig up to a point, and yeah. then you don't have any more coal. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, but it was even which was his which was the state that he mentioned in his uh, talk that he would would save jobs for those people in that state. Then even the mayor of that state later said, "No, no, we don't want these jobs because we moved to a totally different economy, yeah. so it's not going to happen." And so, in a way. Trump's radical decisions might even bolster the yeah. bottom-up yeah. uh, 
wish for uh, environmental yeah. safety. Yeah, and economy. commitment by others. They might even be more committed to make this happen. That's mm-hmm. that's an interest. So a common enemy. Right, we know in psychology that a common enemy might be a really good motivation to uh, to realize change. So, in in the Netherlands, what kind of uh, steps are being taken in order to change bottom up the attitude of people towards environmental issues? There are a lot uh, a lot of uh, really bottom up initiative now. So people coming together. Uh, trying within their community to uh, speed up the sustainable energy transition. And we are evaluating one of those initiatives. It's called Buurkracht. And it it is supported by one of the networking uh, companies that that provides us with energy. Uh, They have a strategic interest in understanding how to uh, speed up the energy transition because they have to make major investments in the energy grid. So the better they can predict how uh, energy use will look like in the future, whether we will produce it ourselves or not, whether the demand will decrease, whether people are willing to shift energy use in time. It's it's all related to behavior. So they, they have a key interest in understanding it better, but also to motivate people to reduce use energy demand because the lower the demand the less investments are needed in a grid right you need uh, smaller cables then to transport to meet the demands so Buurkracht aims to uh, support local communities to promote sustainable energy use and it can be that people uh, together buy solar panels uh, or insulate their houses or change their daily user behavior and we study what motivates people to join such initiatives in their neighborhood and what motivates them to realize savings to actually or to engage in sustainable energy behavior. So that's really from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Government has nothing to do with it. It's the community themselves trying to, to, to bond and to, to help each other to reduce uh, fossil energy use. If we get back to this distinction between bottom-up approaches and top-down approaches, um, I think you hinted at that before, but is it even possible to make such clear-cut distinction? Yeah. And even if it is possible to make such one, um, what do you think is a more promising route as combating climate change? Yeah. Very good question. I, I fully agree that the distinction is not always very clear. And because with Buurkracht, I already said, they're being supported by a networking company. So there's still an agent being involved to make sure that people get the right information, the right knowledge. So I think a combination of two is, is needed. And I think one, none of them will be sufficient because sometimes you need government policies to change the system as well. So some types of changes are really difficult uh, to realize on your own because it's far too costly. And if something is really costly or just impossible, it will not happen. So like if you produce solar yourself and you have a surplus, the only way to get rid of it is to give it back to the net. And because the law doesn't allow you to trade it with your neighbor. If you want to have a sustainable energy system, it might be needed to also allow people to trade energy among themselves within their local community. So then legal changes are needed. The law needs to be changed. Uh, also, um, sometimes a new solution might be really expensive, then some subsidies might be needed to make this happen. So 
in cases that the context is seriously inhibiting some types of behavior, then governmental policy is needed as well. But bottom-up is also in, uh, needed because you, I think um, bottom-up also in the sense that we all the approaches that I just indicated, they tap on people's extrinsic motivation, right? You change the cost and benefits and then people change the behavior. But I and we in our group believe that intrinsic motivation is also very important. So that people do something because they are convinced that it is the right thing to do. And, and we also found in our research that it is a very important source of sustainable energy behavior and that people are strongly motivated to do something good for the environment because it makes them feel good. And in the Andreoni, which is an economist, he called this the warm glow. And we have also found evidence for this, that when people do something good for the environment, it makes them feel good. And anticipating this positive feeling about contributing to the greater good motivates people to engage in such action. So we also need to find ways to foster this intrinsic motivation because it is a very important source of sustainable behavior. And it's also a very cost-efficient source, right? Because you don't have to reward people or to implement a law and, uh, and enforce the law, which is all very costly. Sometimes people do things because they already like doing something good for the environment. So we need to find the conditions under which it is likely that this is fostered or strengthened and in, indeed uh, influencing their actions. Okay. But some people, I would guess, just lack this, in, this intrinsic motivation, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure there are people who just don't care that much about the environment and they yeah. don't have this warm glow at all. Yeah. Um, there might be, there is a big discussion on climate skeptics, so people who don't believe in climate change. Uh, it's most prominent in Anglo-Saxon countries, which is interesting. So in the US, in Australia and UK, and most studies on climate skepticism are also done in these countries. Uh, it's less prominent in the Netherlands, uh, but we, we, we are in, about to study that whether those climate skeptics don't care about the environment at all, but maybe for other reasons. Maybe they don't care about it because they believe in climate change, but they might still care about the environment because they want nice nature around them or they like the polar bears or whatever. There might still be a reason to, uh, to care about the environment. And in our research, we often ask people uh, about their values. And one of the values is... Uh, what we call biospheric value. So it's the extent to which people value nature and the environment. And what we consistently find that is people endorse this type of, uh, these type of values quite strongly everywhere across the world. So there's also some theorizing that people in uh, poor countries can't allow to care about the environment because they, they should prioritize the fulfillment of their basic needs. And that's not what we found. We found also that in, in poor countries, among poorer populations also, people quite strongly endorse these biospheric values. Might be for different reasons, right? Might be because they also depend more yeah. strongly on nature. Or because we of religion. Disconnect from nature, basically. Yeah. I think that's one of the big problems is that you are very used to going to a clean park and everything's fine there. You don't see that much garbage here. Yeah. And you live in a flat. Yeah. So you're very disconnected from the problems. 
Yeah. And when you see them on TV, it's also very distant. Yeah. I actually saw something on the internet um, a few weeks ago where there were children who didn't even know that meat from the supermarket comes from animals. Yes. I mean, this is the most apparent way it can show that we're living disconnected from yeah. nature, right? Yeah. Yeah, and people also don't understand the risks of nature, right? Especially in, in countries like the Netherlands, where we have full control over nature. We don't have dangerous animals that can kill us or maybe no, flooding is also quite well under control. We know about our good water uh, uh, policy. And that's also why people can take high risk and just go into the mountains with their flip-flops uh, in the summer dresses and don't realize that it can be a thunderstorm within an hour. Or they need to be rescued from uh, strange places because they didn't realize that it can be very dangerous as well. Yeah, so I, that, I think that's that is also an important uh, reason. And yeah, many environmental problems are distant indeed. But it's also now it's not not so much communicated in the media. If you now look at the media, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, migration and that might really harm us. Well, if you dig into what climate change might cause, even already in the short term, and how many people might die or are already dying because of climate change uh, effects, it's far, far more significant. And it's, it's, it was also not a major topic in, the, in the, the elections in the Netherlands. It's all about, and also now in the negotiations for forming a, a new government, a new cabinet, it's mostly about... Uh, Migration, mm. not so much about environmental uh, problems. Yeah, yeah also, um, this, back again to this distinction between bottom-up approaches and top-down approaches, sometimes when I talk to friends of mine or even family, this distinction becomes very apparent when they say, well, if you start acting more yeah. pro-environmentally, you're not going to make a change. So yeah. they don't really believe in these bottom-up approaches, right? It's, yeah. it's as, if, as if they are waiting for top-down approaches yeah. to make them, to force them. Yeah. to act more pro-environmental. Yeah. What would you tell those people? <laughs> yeah, well, every little bit helps. If we all do our little bits together, we have a major impact, for sure. Uh, we also found in our research that uh, the, the more people are aware of the problems, the more they feel responsible and the more they also think that their contribution could uh, does matter. Yeah, there is also... Um, you should also realize that indeed consumers are not the only responsible person and they can't also do that much within their power also because they are restricted by all kinds of system uh, or, or contextual factors. So there is a responsibility for all actors but also that your contribution really matters and if doing good might make you feel good in the end as well. And uh, yes, just let them experience it. And also, I think one of the things is also that we often don't realize our impact. So it would also be good to get feedback on the things that you did cont that contributed to a better environment so that you acknowledge the things that you did and, and what it mattered for the collective. Mm. But in the, if people really distrust others to contribute as well, because that some people might be skeptic about others doing their bit, yeah, in that respect, there's, there's some research showing that uh, uh, those might be in favor of implement, uh, the implementation of more structural policies that might change the behavior of all, because they want to have a change. 
And if then their uh, governmental policy is being implemented that will affect the behavior of many others, then they get a kind of uh, security that uh, or that others will also uh, contribute because they will be affected by the policy. Yeah. yeah. It would be a beautiful thing, right, if we could make people realize um, how much better they feel if they act more environmentally and yeah. so basically end up in a win-win situation, right? I mean, yeah. They will feel better. The environment will be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the new economy will be booming, which is also good. Yeah. 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 There's now already uh, data showing that investing in green energy is really profitable. Mm -hmm. It's a very sensible thing to do. Yeah. 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 And but also sustainability in a wide sense will will benefit for it. So a lot of poor uh, the, the, it might have very uh, important implications for inequality as well and that uh, poor people are better protected or get a, a better way of life mm -hmm. but it is important to consider these things uh, together that sustainable environmental sustainability should not harm social sustainability so to speak that's mm. it's a complicated matter but <laughs> no and we also know from our research that if you make people aware of the fact that you act pro-environmentally, they're more likely to see themselves as a person who does so. And we are motivated to be consistent. So if you know that you see yourself as someone who acts pro-environmentally, you're motivated to act like that in multiple occasions over and again, which will further strengthen the way that you perceive yourself. So it's it's important also to focus on the positive things. Many times in the media you see a focus on, on the many things that we don't do, but emphasizing the things that people already do might motivate them to act uh, accordingly in multiple situations. So we should more often focus on uh, the things that people already do. Yeah, I think we should end on this positive note. Yeah. <laughs> We're running out of time anyway. Um, this was a very interesting conversation and thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you. This podcast was a production of MindWise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen.